0: Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea, he has he idea A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. He continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending.
1: The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage.
0: Broadcasting outrage, live outrage. from the KVEC studio. Hello, hello. St. Good so, morning,
2: so everybody. Are you talking Do about I sound weird? Time?
0: for mortgage matters
2: no aren't you
0: hearing music
3: yeah,
4: yeah. the no. open is still rolling he was still talking there what do you hear
3: the inch i mean yeah, i be well int- he
4: doesn't hear himself because i didn't, put yeah. it right. I
3: didn't- <laughs> the intro is still going and you're just trying to go yeah
2: huh. you're trying well, to rush it you're not hearing the intro no you still hear the music It's just the bed kind of rolling on Every now and again, it's great to start this show to sound like total amateurs as a complete and total reminder that we're not radio personalities, just some business guys that
4: do a radio show. (laughs) You guys are like talk, talk, talking right until I got to say, hey, I got to turn the mics on. We have lots to say. You get nervous, don't you? Lots to say. (laughs)
2: Like, Yeah.
4: Um, Yeah.
2: It's just, it's (laughs) the
3: vocal exercises right before we go live. Uh, Exactly. You're trying to do that. And
2: and Dan and I work in different offices, so we don't always get to see each other during the week. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, and you see how we get here. Like, slide over, you know, into the chair with three minutes to burn. So there's a couple things to catch up on. Three minutes,
4: boy, three minutes, that's like, you know, oceans of time for you, Jason. Yeah, you can get a lot done in three minutes. Unless, of course, you're uh, trying to explain something, then you need (laughs) about
2: 14 more. I was telling Dan yesterday, I went to a presentation on Social Security and the changes for 2016. Yeah. way too much information for me to even attempt to regurgitate and and you know one of the things I thought when I was leaving this seminar was um, there's there's got to be room for somebody to be like a social security um, consultant there's that
3: much isn't a financial planner wouldn't they kind of fall into that
2: yeah but even even still I, I couldn't help but feel that it's um it's overwhelming. There's a lot of moving pieces in it. Um, and I I just learned so much about things that I had no idea about. As you know when you're young, um, you don't have all you really know is that there's some portion of your paycheck that goes to it. There's a lot of naysayers around that say when you're old enough to get it, it won't be there. Uh, and you just sort of hope you're not throwing money down the hole, but at the end of the day, you don't have a choice, right? Yeah, that's what I knew about Social Security. <laughs> You know, when I was younger, now I learn a little bit more about it. Of course, we have clients that are on Social Security, um, you know, especially for the, the retired population. And that's a pretty common thing. But there's also benefits for people with disabled children and uh, survivor benefits for widows and uh, widowers, I suppose. And, you know, there's, it does. it just seems like a really complex thing. I had no idea how complex it was. Lots of weird little rules and laws and if then's
3: whenever I bring up to my, I like to give my parents a hard time about how they, they got these great benefits and you know, what did they leave for, for me and my generation? They took it all. Do they feel bad about you it? Get to no, that was a deal we signed up for. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, I talk about Social Security. That always comes up, and they said, oh, they've been talking about Social Security is going to run out since we were working."
2: Yeah, that question was asked of this guy that uh, gave the presentation yesterday. It was a, a gentleman from Prudential, um, and he said essentially that um, it'll never happen. It's impossible. It's the kind of the doom and gloomer. I mean, and and a lot of that talk is in an attempt to, to have some sort of a conversation so that people understand that obviously there are policies that we need to keep our hands out of that pot and, it, you know, worry more about preserving it in order that it doesn't degrade any further than it has. But that the reality is, is that the government is always going to have to figure out how to float it, which I heard when he said that the words I heard were the people are always going to (laughs) figure out how to fund it. Right. Because there's so many folks. I mean, how many people would be uh, just out on the streets if somehow Social Security If the the plug was pulled on that, I mean, there'd be 10 million new homeless people next year, I'm sure, as they lost their only source of funding in those retirement years. And I I agree. I don't see that happening. I see that you'd end up in a place where in the budget, really difficult decisions being made and higher taxes being paid, but you can't not give the benefits to those people that... Worked and earned those credits.
3: Yeah, and I mean it's the way people can retire at some point, if because not everybody has a pension plan or some yeah. kind of you know
2: retirement stipend from their job So but they even have to, be able still, to somehow. Um, they said that the average social security uh, payment for all people was like. 1,500 bucks a yeah, month. Yeah, that
3: sounds about right. That's what I, I feel like when we look at loan applications, that's pretty common number.
2: And we talked for a while about um, the people that are using Social Security and, and what it... Because it, ordinarily it follows like a, a cost of living index, right? So as that goes up, that benefit goes up. And there was no raise in that number last year. There's no um, increase this year. And so one, one of the things that we talked about for a while was that there's just a squeeze on seniors today because healthcare is just one of the... I mean, they're the biggest users of healthcare. Uh, and of course, those costs have not been flat. Um, so those costs, I mean... I'm, I'm a known exaggerator, so I won't throw a figure out here, but you tell me, what would you estimate that health care for the average person, you know, has increased over the last three years or five years?
3: <laughs> Which one? Would you <laughs> I mean, I think it's been about 20% a year
2: consistently. That's what it feels like. I want to say it's doubled. And, yeah, um, yeah, I would say and so. And I feel like I might be underestimating that. Uh, but... So point remains for the people that are on that Social Security not getting that cost of living increase because they say the cost of living hasn't changed. Uh, the place it's changed the most for that demographic um, and for all of us, really, but those are the most heavy users of health care. That's where the biggest changes happened. And so there's a pinch there. And I started thinking, um, suppose your house was paid for. Hopefully you have a prop thirteen from yesteryear, so your property taxes are very low. Uh, can you make it on fifteen hundred bucks a month? That's tough. I mean, I mean
3: yeah, it's it is tough. a squeeze because you want to. You need to be able to pay for utility. Utilities do go up regardless yeah. of what your property tax base or you know all that stuff. Utilities generally get more expensive, and um, you have your food, which tends to get more expensive. If you want to go anywhere, you have gas. Luckily, that's getting a little cheaper lately. Yeah. But then you want to be able to do things. You want to be able to go out to dinner with your friends. Or your grandkids. see a movie. Do something for your grandkids. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's hard. So it seems complicated. And of course, you know, I think I feel like we're in another economic and social experiment right now where, um, you know, like especially people of our generation, and I'd go so far as even to say my parents now, um, they don't have pensions. So retirement will be self-funded plus the little spiff you can get from Social Security, which, by the way, is that that's getting pushed out farther and farther. Um, discussion yesterday seemed to suggest that the average age—I mean, it was it was being revisited right now—but that the average age was going to get pushed out to probably seventy for an initial eligibility. But the
3: people today who are able to get Social Security are getting it. They have the choice of getting it at age sixty-two. Or deferring it to a later date, which I can't remember how much further down the line. It's like roughly five years later. And then they can get a higher benefit amount. Yeah. And it at As, some point, you know, one pays off better than the other. But it's usually right around, what, we, we decided was age 86? Yeah.
2: Yeah. That seemed like the average break-even point. And he gave a, an acronym called LENS, which was life expectancy, right? You got to factor in how long you're going to live. Um, what your relative health is, your expenses, um, the need. And then I think the last one was savings, but it seemed hmm. like the most important part. And the reason it sort of trailed off over the whole acronym was the most important part was life expectancy. Yeah. How the guy, how health? <laughs> yeah. The guy that says, Oh, I'm going to suspend mine until I'm 70, you know, eight years worth of, let's just say a thousand bucks a month is like a hundred grand. And then that guy dies at 70 without having taken any of that benefit. Um, well, there you go. A lifetime of paying in. You tried to play the odds, and then something happened in there. So that that life expectancy component of it, I think, is one of the most biggest ones. And it would be really helpful if you had a better idea. But that's the one left completely to chance. Yeah. So it was, But anyways, it was really a fascinating seminar. I was really happy that I went. Um, when I and, and my biggest takeaway was if you're nearing social security or you're a widow, widower, parent of a disabled spouse, um, there, or disabled child, um, another one was, oh, there was a benefit. There was They told a story about a guy who had a, a, a wife and family and his wife died of cancer. So he remarried a new wife. That was significantly younger, and had a child together. Because the the dad was over sixty six, and the and had a young child now, was able to get a fifteen hundred dollar a month uh, social security payment for that child until that child was eighteen. Oh, huh. so there's some interesting stuff in there um seemed like some of the loopholes have been closed seemed like there were still some really interesting loopholes that were wide open I I thought several times during the presentation there was ample room for some really perverse decisions to be made in terms of strategies to get and maximize social security um th- it was really interesting stuff um, and so yeah I just Couldn't help but want to bring it up and suggest that anybody that has any of those sort of circumstances that we just discussed or if you're approaching that retirement age, it'd be a real good idea to reach out to somebody that knows a lot about it because it is not as simple as it seems. And then, and lastly, the last thing I'll say about it was that they talked about the folks at the Social Security offices. They're allowed to answer your questions. In fact, they're encouraged to answer your questions um, to the best of their ability, but they're not allowed to give advice. And I think, like as far as helping you decide whether you should take the benefit, right? Of well, right or if you're eligible for one that you're just you're not asserting that you get it. They can't just say, "Oh, you know, click click in the computer." And and if we did X Y and Z, you would be able to get this one for your kids. So if you have a benefit that you're not taking, they're not going to notify you of it. Yeah, yeah. It seems like you should be notified if you're... Well, and there was also stories about people that were over 70 years old and had maximum benefits and had just never drawn. Hmm. Interesting.
3: I mean, they must know. They're just
2: choosing not to do it. And, and sometimes not. Especially in cases where, you know, like if, it, say, there's a, um, a widow that doesn't understand that there's a survivor benefit. See, that's
3: something where there should be notices. They should be informing people of their rights to collect that. So I just, all I could
2: think about was how many people out there, if you don't need the help, you know somebody that does need the help. And, um, and of course, I'm not at all suggesting, this isn't a service that we offer in any way, shape, or form. We're not even close to capable of providing advice about it. Uh, I kind of just went for my own uh, personal development and also I mean I enjoyed it I like that kind of thing learning about stuff like that but yeah it struck me as a very complex thing where um, I, I'm surprised we don't hear more about people that are just social security consultants it seems like that would be a business where you would understand it perfectly and have the service where Who people would pay can... them though? how would they get paid to consult on that what if what if there were some circumstances where you were eligible for a social security payment that you didn't get for 5 years? I mean, that could be 500 grand. So I don't know who would pay that person, but we'll um, take 10% of granny's funds f- because
3: it's like for the, helping her. The finder thing. I don't know. Maybe that's why there aren't consultants. Related to that though, you you brought up the situation which is a real life one where that may be someone's only source of income. And it's you know on average 1500 bucks a month if they do have that free and clear home a way to supplement that income is a reverse mortgage it's one of the few times where i feel like a reverse mortgage is a very useful and practical tool there's a lot of other situations where they sometimes get suggested and i think there are better forward mortgage products out there but that's the exact scenario where a reverse mortgage makes so much sense yeah for someone who's just scraping by doesn't have enough money to live life to the fullest but they have this asset that's free and clear that they spent 30 years paying off and now you know it's great that they've got a roof over their head that they don't have to pay a mortgage on but it's kind of tying up all of
2: their wealth well yeah and at the same time i mean i every now and again we we do a reverse mortgage for somebody i got to admit they're not that common at least around here there's probably other parts of the country where they're more common um but I always tell people they go, Well, problem with a reverse mortgage is your loan balance is growing, right? So you're eating away the equity that you're going to give to your heirs. So they argue, Well, yeah, but what else are you doing though? If that's money that you need to live and to, to just meet your basic living needs, um, you're liquidating other accounts your even the social security money that you're getting you're you're expending all of that versus being able to save some of it i mean depriving it's a, yourself of of an enjoyable, Some kind of enjoyment yeah and or being able to help i mean we some people take the out, gamut.
3: some people will do a reverse mortgage simply to give the equity to their family members while they're still alive they so can see they can watch what they can do with it day. maybe <laughs> even
2: encourage them of what to do with it yeah yeah Interesting things like that. Um, grandparents that will take out reverse mortgages to put their grandchildren through college because they see that as more valuable than leaving, you know, their their kids that uh, just the house. I mean, that, that it's one of those things where an education can just have such better legs than a piece of real estate um, or multiple educations. Uh, it's 9:22 now, so we need to do a commercial break. We got some sponsors that help make the show sponsor possible. And we hope that you'll uh, listen to these and consider them next time you're in the market for their services. Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters.
0: To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident, and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez.
2: This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' little league games. I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today.
6: just call 543 Central Coast Lending.
2: Central Coast Lending is
6: an equal housing
0: opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 01839608, NMLS number 328358. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800 549 5832. Now, back to the show. <laughs>
2: All right, guys, welcome back. I'm sure everybody's um, waiting for the segment of the show where we're going to talk a little bit about this crazy market that we're in here for the first two weeks of uh, 2016. I was
3: just going to say we heard a commercial for Blakeslee and Blakeslee. I think it's about time to go talk to Craig and see if there's anything he can do to help my IRA not lose money. I don't know that there's anything you can do right now because everything's in the red. Yeah. You look at the, they put up the big board on CNBC and it's just a sea of red. Everything that's, that trades on the open markets is going down. Did
4: you guys read in the paper about Walmart closing like 265 stores? Or yeah, it's
3: 290 some odd stores and 165-ish in mm. the United States. Yeah. And
4: I'm wondering what that means for the ones they wanted to build in atascadero because what they're saying in the paper this morning is, they're going to close stores that are within that are in 10 close miles. proximity, yeah, yeah, ten miles of one another. So is yeah, that still going to... where's
3: the other nearest one to attach? Or yeah, to attach Paso, oh, Robles. Paso oh, really? no, yeah. Up all, yeah, right so up, up there. I wonder off if it's of... still
4: going to be built or not, and all that fight to get it put in. And
2: hmm. yeah, I I felt like the those articles were largely for headline, mm-hmm. um, because I was looking for a little more substance in it too, and and from what I could tell, it sounded like. Walmart's got a few different models of stores they put up, and one of them was almost sounded like it was a, like a, to be almost a convenience store, like a Walmart know. Express. And I don't know that I've ever been in one of those. I There's mean, I, I'm not well versed in all the WalMarts. I got to be pretty hard up to go I into a Walmart. I think they're more well more
4: focused on the grocery aspect.
3: I yeah. Think. What I kind of took from it, they said that they were. Trying to reduce their footprint, but compete with Amazon. I yeah, think they're, they're increasing at doing more delivery. Type they're of increasing
2: their online presence is really so. And, and that was what I gathered was to close out some of those stores that were sort of trial stores where, mm-hmm. yeah, they were sort of convenience store, whether groceries or otherwise, but things where you would be able to just kind of drop in and get the provisions that you needed real quick. As opposed to um, down in Temecula, and I have been in this thing, there's one called uh, the Walmart Superstore. Have you seen these things? That's what they said they're going to focus on is their superstores. It is unreal, that one. Um, so we went down there to my parents' house, and as we like get there at like 11 o'clock at night, my son said, oh, I forgot my contact stuff. And he was like, the lenses and the case, and I, you know, of course, those initial reactions of you know you should be more responsible, uh, uh, mad, whatever. Okay, well now it's Dad's problem to go find contact solution in case. So yeah, call Right Aid, call CVS, Googling any store that's open. Everything is like closed. I'm gonna have to drive over to this Walmart supercenter because it's open 24 hours. And um, and this was right close to Christmas, so I assumed that this store was as packed as it was at uh, about 12.30 uh, a.m. <laughs> because of Christmas, and they said it absolutely wasn't. These lines were like this every night. Uh, it was unreal. I mean, not only is the place huge... But they just, the product, every they had so much stuff. It was so overwhelming. And then up at the registers, the lines were literally like 20 people deep at every single register. That's it was ridiculous. Unreal. That's terrible. Real. That's unreal. So yeah. hopefully they put one of those in a Tascadero. Well,
4: no. <laughs> no, I don't know about that.
2: But there's already a Walmart and AG. And then there's a Walmart in Paso. There's like two of them. Do in we Samurai. need another Walmart? And then I was wondering that too, you know, are they going to pull the plug on building that Walmart? It seems like if That's, you're yeah. shuffling the debt, or maybe they build one and then close one of the other ones because uh, oftentimes these stores, you know, like Costco, they, they have a new design in Costco. So, you know, how you go to the old Costco's where. The food court is inside and it's like it's just laid out a little bit different. And now the new model is like they build them a little bit different. You can kind of tell the era of the Costco you're in based on how they lay it out. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, maybe they would build one in a Tascadero that was like the one that, you know, the more efficient or productive footprint that they've deemed. And then perhaps close out the other one that's just a few miles away. I don't know. Um, And I'm not at all suggesting that I want a Walmart and a Tascadero. I just, I know that that's been a proposal and interesting that they're going to now be closing some. Um, and, but the headline though, when you just look at the headline, it fit right in with a lot of other stuff this week, weak retail sales, Macy's closing stores, this company laying off workers that, you know, all these different little headlines. And so it, it suggested just from looking at the headline that, Hey, if Walmart's in trouble where you can buy like, you know, a box of 5,000 diapers for $1.96, then what? Uh, but you get in there and read it, and it just sounded like they were honing in on the business model that they thought was best for their clientele and best for their you know, balance sheet. And And they talked about
3: trying to place employees from the closing stores at other nearby locations. Yeah. So, yeah, it didn't seem as... I mean, it sounded smart to me. Why do you need a Walmart within 10 miles of another Walmart? I don't know. I mean, it's like the Starbucks thing. Where they're just
2: on every block, it doesn't. Well, make a lot I can of see of the sense. need for that. <laughs> I don't want to have to make a U turn for coffee, dude. Well, you know, I, I have nothing against. <laughs> yeah. Put one on both sides it of is. the street so that I can just make it a right. Because I'm yeah. I, yeah. I, I will things. not. I think we should start bumper stickers that says that I will not U turn for Starbucks. If you want me to have Starbucks, put one on the right side <laughs> of my street. Well, I live in a rug
4: Randy, and there's three Chase banks. Oh, awesome. In a Royal Granny. Well, there's one technically in Grover, but um, there's, uh, you know, I just, you know, three branches of the same bank within like two miles, three miles of it. Is that
2: recent? Was it acquisitions of other banks? I Who did Chase don't know take that. over? WAMU? I don't know. Yeah, but that was so it's long ago. It's like getting ago. ages yeah. ago now. I'm yeah. having trouble remembering. Yeah, but I mean. would, sometimes I wonder if banks do that kind of thing until the lease is up on the building or something, and then they're going to pull the plug on it. Oh. But I know some of those big banks, though, sometimes they'll offer different... Uh, services out of each branch. Some will branch. be like just yeah. a home loan center, or a, sure, and yeah. then other will be the retail center. Yeah, or the like, you know.
4: Well, the one in hoity-toity
2: personal banker branch, where you're like, you're gonna have your wealth manager is gonna help you with your checking account in this one.
4: Now, the one in Grover is actually inside the Vons, and mm. I'm just wondering if oh, okay. I see, oh, it's Grover Beach, not a Royal Grandy. So even though you're like. 10 feet from a Royal Grandy where the city limits is. Well, and I Got think to service every you know, community. There. I think there's
2: a difference, too, though, in that the, even in close proximity, getting to have one inside a grocery store like that is one of those, uh, it just captures additional. Clients. They sort of like that's your recruitment center of just getting people into the bank and like, yeah, the bank's right down the street, but you were here for some eggs, so how about a line of credit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's know. the high rent spot yeah. too. Right.
3: Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um So you were talking about stock market. Yeah, wow. It's, so the Dow finished below sixteen thousand. Oh my goodness. And it what was it? it was right knocking on eighteen thousand at the end of the year. So it's down It was over. I don't know if it ever got. Did it get over? Yeah, maybe it did. So it's down over ten percent. Like it's, I think it's twelve percent so but far the, in the year.
2: Yeah. Okay. And i I can kind of, I can get with that. I understand a bit of that. Um, the U.S. economy seems like it's doing fine. I mean, yeah, there's some soft spots, whatever. But this global economy seems like the new craze. Um, there's just a lot of volatility. I see how this the stock market doesn't like volatility, so I see how that's a little bit crazy. The bond market, though, I mean, reaping the the 10 year is reaping all the benefits. Is that like 2.03 percent? yesterday. and it actually dipped below two for a moment. That's crazy. Yeah. And all of this right on the heels of the feds raising uh interest rates by a quarter of a percent. And in retrospect now, you know, I know we said this uh, on the shows leading up to that uh, December rate hike, but it is possible that the feds could raise rates and see the mortgage rate decline. Yeah. Uh, and here we are. Rates have
1: been I trending. I didn't think it
2: would go down this much. <laughs> That's
3: a little bit surprising. So now they there's a, there's a little opportunity here for anyone who bought a home in the last year. <clears throat> Rates are now about a half a point lower than when you bought, if not more. It's crazy. Depending on when you bought, you could you haven't gotten too far into your purchase mortgage, you could potentially get a lower payment, a significantly lower payment, a couple hundred bucks a
2: month. How soon is too soon to refi? I I don't know that there's a too soon to refi. What are the rules about it? I mean, people call me up and they go, "Well, I only got my house two years ago, so I probably can't even get a new loan yet." I, I mean, the no, reality you is, can. you can re-
3: There are no prepayment penalties on most mortgages today, so you can refinance at any time. Now, maybe a, even the next day, you can. A bank will possibly have some repercussions if a loan pays off early the the bank that originated that loan that would be paid off they could have a financial penalty but it's pretty small you know it's cost of doing business so yeah yeah, to the borrower there's
2: no there's no limit on when you can refinance your your loan so mortgage insurance and i I for sake I, I hate to sound like i'm beating a dead horse here but with these lower rates is this opportunity mortgage insurance is based on these buckets of five percent of equity right so five 95 to 100 percent uh loan to value you have a high the highest mortgage insurance 90 to 95 the second highest 85 to 90 the third highest and then the mo the minimum mortgage insurance is that 81 to 85 range right there where you darn near have your 20% equity, but you just don't have it yet. And I would venture to suggest that for the average loan amount in our county, that mortgage insurance in each bucket changes by about 50 bucks. So if you bought a house a year or two ago at any interest rate now higher than 4% and you've got mortgage insurance, there's an opportunity to refi where you, I mean, what you're hoping for is an appraisal that comes in high enough that you don't have to have mortgage insurance at all. But you know, the the flip side of that is, well, maybe you don't have 20% equity yet, but you have 15 or you have 10, maybe you only started with three or 5% equity and now you have 10 or 15. That will at least put you into those lower buckets of mortgage insurance, where you might save 50 or hundred bucks on the mortgage insurance alone. And then After that, if your interest rate can go down at all, that's the icing on the cake. Uh, If you've got mortgage insurance with um, a USDA loan or an FHA loan where those mortgage insurance payments might even be life of loan, this is an opportunity um, to come in and redo your loan into a conventional loan where the mortgage insurance can stop in as little as two years, uh, based on your equity by way of amortization and market appreciation, uh, It's a much better strategy. So I know I talked a lot about this last week. It, it really is one of the most compelling. I, I, if I could make anybody call, those would be the people. If you bought a home in the last three years, your interest rate's higher than 4% and or you have mortgage insurance, you should call and take advantage of this little drop. You said you're surprised that it's gone this low. I don't know that I'm necessarily surprised, and I kind of want – I'm excited now to see where the bottom is. (laughs) I think it could actually continue downward for a period of time. I really do. And if it does, awesome. Let's – you know, I mean, especially if – because consider this, though. If the Feds have pushed up rates a little bit because our economy is on relatively firm ground – Um, inflation, we're still waiting for that to catch up a little bit. Employment's doing all right. We're waiting for wages to pop up a little bit. If we have one last sort of breath in the sails here of these low interest rates, um, people have an opportunity to refi out of their mortgage insurance, refi into a lower payment or buy a house with a little bit more affordable terms, a sort of a final little, like nice little shove to get things really humming in the right direction. I think it'd be awesome. Uh, of course, I'm biased because my life is significantly better uh, with volume of loans that we're able to do through the company. Uh, but yeah, interest rates are better. The market's a little bit crazy. Um, you mentioned
3: wild. you mentioned the retail sales numbers being one of the the downer headlines of the week. I found that to be an odd takeaway from that because I I read some some of the news tidbits on the retail sales, they were actually up year over year 3%. They were just below the expectations of 3.7% year over year growth. So retail sales were better this year compared to last year. There was a shift. I'm going to
2: throw myself on the sword here and say, obviously I'm not smart enough to understand this because I felt a little bit confused because here um, on Los Angeles times, um, here's what I saw. December retail sales fall 0.1%. So that's a month over month probably. But they said they fall, right? So this headline leads me to believe that the fall is a negative number, but really it's it was still positive. It just is a little bit less than the last reading. So I read this thing and I'm like, oh, at face value, we're in trouble. When retail sales are going down, um, in an economy that's GDP depends on consumption, we're in trouble, right? And, and these numbers, by the way, are the numbers that have got to be looked at closely right now because guiding this economy with the, the Fed here is it's like, it's like turning a super tanker. You flip this little switch and you won't actually see the impacts, and I, I believe this completely, you won't actually see the impacts of that Fed rate hike, probably the June rate hike until May, I'm sorry, December rate hike until May or June. It takes that long. So it's not the December jobs report or the January jobs report or the December retail sales or the January retail sales. you got to be looking out at what's going to be happening in April, May, June. That's where these things all start to take hold. So you kind of look at this stuff. It's an interesting thing. So yeah, but in reading so, I said, um, I'll just read you a few snippets of this article from the LA Times that I brought in. Um, the National Retail Federation reported that sales during November and December increased three percent, below the forecasted three point seven. So, it was perhaps under expectation. Maybe the expectations were too high. I don't know. Um, and under the four point one increase in the twenty fourteen holiday season. So. That leads us to believe that these sales are a little bit less. And so they go on and talk a little bit about this because, I mean, people are saving money year over year. We're saving money on gas. Um, that savings should translate into some um, additional consumer spending. Don't you love those pop-ups? No, I don't. I know. Uh, thanks for the reminder. I'll push my mute button on my laptop right now to make sure I don't have that problem too. Um, But yeah, you would think that saving money at the pump leaves you a little bit of additional discretionary income to be spent. What better time to spend it than in the holiday season? Um, And I think that's what economists had been predicting and anticipating the gains. Um, What did we do with the money? (laughs) It sounds like Americans have squirreled away the money. By saving it or whittling down debt. That's what they've been doing with that extra money they're saving at the pump. Um, And as a rule, though, you know, that shows that there's uncertainty within consumers. And how can there not be, too? Like, I I sort of said, step back a little bit and look at what's going on. The circus that is that the GOP debate the other night. You know, then you got the stuff with Hillary and the stuff with Bernie and uh, the um I don't care where you fall on the political spectrum you got to admit it's it seems pretty wild already <laughs> the fighting the arguing the you know with this the the new the new people running we've now got a fresh kind of uh insulting and you know it's, it's just crazy. So what does that make you think? And I, I, I was with a financial planner yesterday, Dan. I, I want to know about this. What happens this year where, like, I mean, because we're a month away from the first um, Republican primaries, right? Yeah. People are so divided. If you put... A Trump supporter next to a Bernie supporter and let those two people talk about what's important in today's budget, economy, national security, uh, all education, all these things. Those people are on like two different planets. Um, So what does that do as we spend this year figuring out what the most likely income is? What can happen to the stock market in this year? It's going to be a wild ride. I swear it is. And um, I mean, I, I just I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. It seems it seems like it'll be plenty overwhelming and tumultuous. Maybe the best investment today. You said earlier, call Craig to see if there's any way to stop your account from losing money. Maybe just move it all over into the volatility index.
3: Something rich in bonds right now is good. But you don't even know how long that's going to last. All of a sudden, favor could switch back to stocks and
2: your bonds are going to drop overnight. I was talking with the financial planner yesterday about the um, zero bonds. (laughs) I didn't even know this existed. Did you know this? No. You buy like these zero yield bonds and then what? basically what you're doing is is shorting the bond market that if interest rates go down... You buy these bonds for like 77 cents on the dollar, and if the bond yields and such fall to the point where your bet is correct, you have windfall profits, but at the same time you could have windfall losses if bond yields actually go up. Just some weird stuff, and the fact that those things are even being talked about today tells me that we've got plenty of volatility ahead. Plenty. Plenty. When you see the Fed raise interest rates and all of a sudden the bond yields seem to dump, and by the way, the stuff with the Chinese economy has been um, tumultuous. I mean, you watch it, see it on the news. It's, it's. I mean, it's not. It's it's not having trouble grabbing headlines. But there are other countries in the world where it is absolutely wreaking havoc on their economy. So the U.S. is pretty well insulated from it, but the. In terms of like the global systemic impacts, we have not seen the last of this at all anytime soon. So it'd be it'd be really interesting just to see what this year holds, you know, especially as our political parties demonstrate how great the divide is and begin the name calling and schmear campaigning and you know, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'm gonna implement this, I'm gonna repeal that. How can you even know where anything stands? Um, it's sure to be uh, an entertaining year um, with plenty of volatility. It's time to do the final commercial break of the hour, so we're gonna do that, and then uh, when we get back, we have another, you know, probably twelve-minute run into the top of the hour, and then. All the way with you until 11 o'clock. So stick around for more Mortgage Matters.
0: Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on oh, News Talk 920. Oh, that's Ask right. Question, he is coming. Call this. 543-8830 yeah. or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
1: For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people. Agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com.
2: This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our twenty-one day clothes. We get yeah. you fully pre-approved yeah. before you yeah. find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. Ew, it's time dude, for just you, to you, you took a shower.
3: Where's the Coast visor Coast with, bed? with the messy bedhead?
1: Just <laughs> call <laughs> Yeah, lending a of that, opportunity real estate broker.
0: California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328 What a
6: state of generosity, look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to state farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better
0: state, State Farm. Switch
5: to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez.
2: So yeah, we've been talking about these low rates. It's a crazy market has led to lower mortgage interest rates. There's no doubt about that. Dan, I had another interesting one here I thought you might get a kick out of. Um, oh, I told you before I like to read The Week. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave their uh, best, The Week's Best financial advice this week.
3: Yeah. What's that?
2: I gave it a little cruise to see what I thought it was about. Was anything good here? Um, There was really only three tips in the article. Prices that wax and wane. So he said that um, prices fluctuate based on demand. And people that have bought airline tickets or Uber know this. So you can somehow figure out how to catch on to the pricing strategy of what you're buying. And the tip here was basically, if you're, if there's something that you are going to buy online, you would put it in your cart and then leave it for a few days. And then a lot of the retailers come back offering a 10 to 15% discount. Why? Cause they monitor carts. Yeah, we'll see what's sitting and around. they sort of believe that you lost interest in it, and so they may woo you back. Huh. And I noticed that i i bought a uh, I bought a guitar case on Musician's Friend, and um, I just got distracted at checkout. Right? Like I, I had it in the cart, I was ready to go. I don't. Know, some kid probably caught something on fire in my house or something, so I shut the computer and took off running. And then a couple days later, I got an email from a Musician's Friend saying, "Hey." We noticed that you didn't check out, and if you do, we'll give you 15% off. I was like, thanks for the reminder that I forgot to buy that thing, and now for the coupon. So that was kind of a piece of good advice. If you don't need it right away, um, throw it in the cart and wait. Um, Digital shift at the IRS was a snoozer. I didn't see much good there. Um, And then the last one, which was a, a bizarre one here, it said, Crossing the mortgage finish line. Even if your last mortgage is in sight, you've still got work to do. One or two months before you expect to make your last house payment, ask for a payoff quote from your lender. Because mortgages are paid in arrears, you could owe more than you think. Typically, you need to pay a small fee to the real estate recording office to release the mortgage and lien from title. Also, homeowners insurance property taxes, no longer repaid from the escrow account, so those bills are now your responsibility. Also, contact your insurer to make sure that your home um, has the correct loss payee on it. So there's a couple little nuggets in there that I thought were worth talking about. Uh, first of all, it's exactly right. I mean, largely what we do this show for is in hopes that somebody calls and does a loan with us, right? I mean, I, that's why I'm here. I don't know why you're here. Probably the same reason. Just to keep you company. If you're not going to do – I mean, if you're going to pay your loan off, you're not going to do business with us, that's cool. But there are – those things are kind of true. I mean, first of all, it's smart to get your insurance fixed because if your house burns down, the loss payee on your uh, homeowner's insurance is where that money is going to try to go obviously your mortgage company isn't going to take deposit and use those funds if they've been reconveyed so it would likely cause a delay checks or something having to be bounced back or rerouted or who knows what um so i don't know that that's a real threat but again it's just smart to make sure that your lost payee is correct so People that have recently paid off their mortgage or that have a home equity line of credit that they recently paid off and closed, that loss payee will still remain on your homeowner's insurance until you go and request it be removed. So I thought that was a pretty good tip. And then the other thing too here about, um, I thought, a good opportunity for a conversation about what is on a payoff demand? Because... People always come in. This happens on, like, every single transaction I ever do for a refi is people come in and say, okay. Why is the payoff more than I owe? I know what I owe. I just logged into the bank. I owe $301,000. Say, well, I have it at 302, you know, 200. Reason being is there's always about a month lag in the credit reporting agencies. That's where we get our number from. So, the first thing that we need to help people understand is that we utilize escrow for every transaction we do. The, one of the main functions of escrow is to be that independent, neutral third party that's going to be the you know kind of keeper of what's right, who's owed what, make sure you don't get stiffed, make sure that you don't pay anything twice or that you get refunded anything that's owed to you. That's a big function of what escrow does. Um, so that being said, when we order the payoff demand, um, the first point is, yeah, there's always junk fees on there, right? There's that reconveyance fee. They'll have like... They're pa- I wouldn't call them junk fees. I'd call them pass-throughs. Yeah, you know,
3: there's a fee to process that reconveyance and record it, and you know do those things. And that's, I mean, it's it can be a couple hundred is, bucks. Yeah, I, I, it's not even that. It's like usually eighty dollars or something.
2: Seems like it varies a little bit from company. Some companies charge you eighty dollars for a payoff demand, and then if you end up having to order multiple payoff demands, like as you're approaching closing and you're trying to get the numbers correct, and each time you get an updated payoff demand, they charge you another eighty bucks. I've seen that happen, it's crazy, Um, but, uh, so anyway, you will see some fees appear that you weren't completely clear on knowing that you had coming. Additionally, oftentimes line of credits that you have will have a termination fee, and those can be as much as $500 I've seen. I'd say on average they're $300, but I see them as high as $500. And this is one of those things where you got a loan and they gave you a line of credit because it was like, oh, while well, you're in here, and then you'd, even if you never use the thing and say, oh, I don't want it, uh, I have no need for it, well, there's no additional cost. And if you ever do, it's because we're doing this now, you should take advantage of it and take it. And then you get down to the point where you're refying and the new lender wants to close that line of credit that you had that you never used, and that line of credit wants 500 bucks to close it. That's a common problem. Um, And so seconds will almost always come with some sort of closure fee. And then lastly is this issue of mortgages being paid in arrears. And um, for the layman, what that means is when we pay, like when we're growing up, I guess, where we start out by being tenants where we rent, we pay rent on the 1st all the way through the 30th and that rent, that, that rent is what's due there, it's what buys us those days ahead of time. When we get a mortgage, we borrow the money, pay the seller, and in part what we pay back is, if you're on a 30-year loan, one 360th of the principal, and then we pay our interest cost, whatever the interest was for the period in which we had the money borrowed. So, what that means is, you will actually move in on the 1st and accumulate interest for 30 days. And the payment that you make, so if you move in on January 1st, the payment you make on February 1st covers the January interest. So in many cases, when we order a payoff demand for somebody, we order a payoff demand today, right, January 16th. They made their payment on January 1st, which was the December 1 to 31 interest. So now interest has actually accumulated on that mortgage from January 1 to January 16 when we pay off. Those 16 days worth of interest do have an actual daily cost that's calculatable, and that gets added to the outstanding principal with the payoff fees, that number will always be a little bit higher than what you're accustomed to. So, so when that person says, I logged into my account, I
3: see what I owe, you see the principal balance owed. You mm-hmm. don't see the interest that's accumulated, nor do you see the the one-time fees for the processing of, of paperwork. Right.
2: So it's always a little bit contentious for people, especially if you're already of the mindset that the banks are always trying to rip you off. You know, it's like oh, every, at every turn, they're trying to get more than what they are owed or more than what they deserve. Although I can see it feeling that way, that's not the way logically that it works. Um, and when we do a refi, this is why a no-cash-out refi has like a $2,000 buffer, making sure that... You know, we can only get so close because the daily interest and those little fees and that little stuff is going to come out in the wash. So we sort of going to operate within a range rather than down to the exact penny.
3: When you pay off that mortgage too, your impound account, the little amount you have banked there that will get refunded to you when your loans paid off. They have it's some 30 or 60 days to
2: get that back to you. All right, guys, it's the top of the hour break, so we'll be back in a few minutes with a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. We're going to be joined by Wes Burke from Patterson Realties, which should, I assume, going to be perfectly enthralling. Stick with us for more Mortgage Matters.
5: Welcome
0: back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason.
2: All right, this show just got a lot cooler. A little, we, a little Grateful Dead with your eggs and bacon. <laughs> we got Wes Burke in the studio. It's like the ghost of Mortgage
6: Matters past. It's not been that long, buddy. To what do we owe this distinct pleasure? I needed to come down here and get you guys back on track. I mean, I listened Thank you. to about Good. the first 45 minutes of the show, and I think we were, what was it, Walmart and... Little bit of substance around social security, but tell you know, me. I came to bring data to the mix. Tell oh, me. Wow. I think people want to know what the real estate market's doing, don't you, Dan? I um, always want to know. I've got some bold font over
2: here I I doubt you're interested, but I'm, discussing the CFPB having a statute covering real estate agent compensation. Yeah, do read me some of the details of that. Um you're no longer allowed to make more than two percent of the total transaction for both sides. It's coming. What? Unilaterally passing it next month with you get no input. Sorry, bud.
6: Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not fully uh, convinced about that yet, but we'll see. That's what
2: they did to us?
6: Sorry. No, I, I, it just
2: um, – I was ribbing you a little bit. What this article says is that readers should know that the CFP biz, CFPB does not have a statute covering – real estate agent comp yet Mm -hmm. can you make an effect on the microphone when i say yet that makes it like rain down.
4: I wish I could do that for you. <laughs>
7: they
2: do that? like in that, <laughs> no. What's that show on CNBC that comes on after the market closes and drives me nuts? Kramer. Yeah. Man. He's got one of those.
3: Mad money. He
2: can say yet yeah. and it will like echo and reverb and reverb. you just know this guy means yet is he very important. He means what he saying. When I say it, yeah. it's like yet. No, no emphasis yeah. at all.
4: i wish i had an fx machine in here i could do that for you
2: oh i got you jim don't even worry yeah
4: oh you got
6: it yeah so all right i'll bite what's your data palsy what's going on well there's some interesting things going on one um i think that's worth talking about is the uh, reality that we are seeing a decrease in inventory the
2: um i thought you were going to say home values i don't care about inventory just don't let my value go down well, with
6: an in, uh, decrease in inventory, your home value will go up. Oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Till when? And will you just let me know so that I can off it before <laughs> before
2: it goes down?
6: You, uh, your home is more than a mere commodity, Jason.
2: mm Nope. It's not. Why?
6: Because your family needs somewhere to sleep
2: and eat. That's crazy talk. If you get, if I can make windfall profits off of dishing my house at the right time, I'll go. And where will you go? I'll go to Motel 6 for the right price. <laughs> now you're weird.
3: What is that? So it's the CNBC soundboard. He's got it. He's got it. He's oh, no going to have to send that to me. Oh, okay. Can you... All right. Yeah. So,
6: for example... The um, inventory countywide in November was about a three-month supply. In December, that dropped nearly to a two-month supply of inventory. So that means that
2: at the rate at which they're being purchased, if nothing new came on the market, we would run
6: out. Correct. In three months, November; two months, December. So That's one correct. month, January. One month. Well, we don't we don't know yet because we're January's in the middle not of not over January, but um, it certainly I, I think we'll see. A little bit of fresh inventory. I mean, typically through the holiday period, of course, activity wanes. But what's interesting when you kind of take a dive into the December stats is that pending home sales, is they're actually up. But inventory is down. So these things exacerbate. The, su- the imbalance in the supply and demand equation.
2: Oh, because you're kind of like firing out a bit of what you do have, and now you're going to have a bigger problem that you're fresh out of things.
6: Correct, yeah. That's okay. what we're seeing. And so the impact that it's had um, in the median home price values, um, we, we've seen about, uh, oh, an 8% increase. I'm looking now at the December median home price Um for the month of December in fourteen, we were at four seventy two, and for the month of December in fifteen, we're at five forty four. So we wow. a pretty significant increase in the median home home values.
3: What is that? About fifteen percent?
6: Um, yeah, I'll do the do the math. Darn near, huh? Yeah, it's um, wow. it's a significant increase. And well, let's see, there it is, uh, right for San Luis proper, sixteen percent. Wow yeah um, and you know that our numbers are always a little bit skewed because of the the lack of transactions we just don't have the number of transactions that metropolitan areas do, so that stat for example is based on uh, twenty five to thirty transactions um, in in the month of December for fourteen versus fifteen so you know you, I don't think you can directly translate that across all the communities around the central coast but um, it is, you know, it's significant, and that's the point that I'm trying to get across, because I think it ties into the conversation that you guys have danced around a little bit relative to the general strength of the national economy and what what's going on in the stock market. And I'm curious what you guys, how you guys think all of this ties in, because I, I'm seeing, of course, I guess we always, you'll always have the doomsdayers out there predicting the collapse of. The economy, or the global economy, or, or whatever the case may be, but I'm seeing more and more of that kind of dialogue around oil.
2: Yeah, well, I think it got kicked off a couple weeks ago, where um, Morgan Stanley issued a report saying they expected that um,
6: oil was going to hit twenty bucks a barrel. So, what the? I guess what I would like to throw out is that our our last. Um, major recession was fueled by um, a rapid downturn in the real estate market. It does not appear that we have metrics in place for that to occur at this time. The question is, can another industry such as the oil industry, undermine the strength of the economy and thereby trigger another recession? Oh, man. So I have
2: this super complicated article that I brought today. And I have it open in a tab that i thought that i would leave up just in case somebody walked in here unexpectedly and caused caused this question to be asked and um so you gotta bear with me because i didn't go through and bullet point it but here's the here's the uh can i give a quick answer yeah no (laughs) i'm gonna
3: say specifically with oil no i think the industry that gets hurt with the oil price of oil going down is the oil industry I think every other industry that relies on oil is seeing a cost go down. So that's good for them. But oil sees revenue go down or jobs being lost. So it's bad for the oil industry. Pretty much every other industry improves because, I mean, and look at just the average Joe consumer. They see benefit when oil goes down because that's less money out of their pocket to fill up their gas tank or, you know, the cost of goods would generally go down because it, cost less to get them on the shelves so, I, so there that's some, my answer
2: there are some smaller economies though that are so dependent on oil that it is absolutely devastating to perhaps even a region there's no question about sure. that the other thing that's interesting right now is that while this oil thing continues to shake its way out um the strong dollar i mean this is also having impacts on the trade balance figures, but also other countries that are already struggling to keep up with an, a, an improving dollar, a U.S. dollar, are also having a little bit of additional trouble because of that. So the, the title of this article that I'll give you this the bullet points on says, are we actually headed toward a recession? Um, I read the headline, did that critical pe- uh, piece of thinking that everybody should do of what's a recession? Fellers.
3: Two negative quarters, or two quarters of negative GDP growth.
2: Yeah, consecutive quarters. Consecutive quarters. Of declining GDP. There you go. So that's what I thought. All right, I'll bite. I'll read your article. Clickbait, right? That's what the internet's full of anymore. Um, so essentially, and, and by the way, these these articles about the would-be recession are coming uh, more and more frequently lately. I couldn't agree with you more. I see them all the time, and... Um, It shows you basically that there are some worrisome parts of the economy. So you kind of get in, in this case, and tie together what usually does relate to a recession. And interestingly enough, to your point, Wes, housing isn't always what drags the economy into a recession.
6: Yeah, that's one of the points that I wanted to make here because I think it's easy for um, us, people in in roughly our age group who – Really, in, in our professional lives, we've, we've never seen a recession nearly as significant as the one that we just went through. And I think that it's kind of easy for us to forget that housing is often not the trigger. I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the one prior, I guess, was the, the bust of the tech bubble. Mm-hmm. So the first sign that
2: you're heading into a recession is that um, the popularity of junk bonds is increasing. Okay? Okay. And basically junk bonds you know people don't all understand exactly what junk bonds mean but bonds are given yield ratings right from AAA down to what's the lowest rating single B do you know Dan you did I don't some security stuff it's the junk I think is the lowest rating <laughs> so there's AAA you can have triple B um, junk bonds are typically rated BB or lower And what this basically means is that um, these bonds are really low risk and low reward. Um, They're a flight to quality type of measurement, right? So government bonds are considered to be the best of investment grade bonds. When you see the market scrambling towards buying up these kinds of assets, it usually points to uncertainty in the market. so right now, like, so that's the first thing you look at. There's a little bit of that going on, but not quite enough. Um, it is yet to be called a trend. Um, the second component of what typically leads to a recession is um, statistics about hires and layoffs, discharges, job quits, um, initial jobless claims, um, it's not a recession until you see the economy's wider labor market really struggling in that regard where our labor market is struggling is on the wage increases portion, but you'd be real hard pressed to make a case that we're having um, layoffs, those kinds of initial jobless claims, the kind of things where it would suggest that there's a general contraction of the overall economy. In fact, in that labor market portion, um, the, the data actually points that we're well on the other side of that. Um, the higher rate versus um, layoff and discharge in the economy, the rates of quits in the economy, um, we're doing really good in all of those metrics. Initial jobless claims as well. So when you just look at those, those are the things that are typically indicative of an impending recession. You're not... We don't have those things going on. I think it's easy for us this go-around, though, that old once-bitten-twice-shy. Real estate did it last time. Um, it was due to supply and demand problems. In our case, I think we had a real over-demand, a pretty good level of supply, but the demand itself was fed by... um Exotic loan programs creating affordability for places where it just didn't belong. Right? We sure. couldn't afford what we bought. If you had a million dollar house to sell today, and this is this is going to be you know in contrast to two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, if you have a million dollar house to sell today, you have a pretty limited marketability. You're gonna have people that either have substantial assets and income, or enough assets to be able to buy the thing, or maybe a couple of these creative programs where they can do five or 10% down because they have substantial income. But all of these people have outstanding credit. It doesn't matter where you fall on that spectrum. 10 years ago, you didn't need outstanding assets, income, or credit. In fact, we didn't care if you had any of those things. So the people that were available to buy your home, your million dollar home 10 years ago were great. The marketability when you when your potential consumer is big, it's easier. Therefore those values got driven up and we got clobbered because of that. So how about now? What's the big difference now? Um, I, I just I don't see it happening. And I've been saying on the show now for, what, seven years, is the big problem comes where you don't build houses for seven years. You better expect you're going to have some significant supply problems, which are going to lead to a crazy run-up in uh, prices, right? When it finally all catches up, There's just not enough houses to go around because there's plenty of people that want to be here. Um, And now I'm happy to say there's some great employers here locally, too. I do loans several times a year for Amazon employees right here in town. Work for Amazon, make very good salaries, and they're buying very expensive houses. So, um, you know, what's the... Mind Body is another big one. Rosetta. I mean, there's there's no shortage right now of
6: pretty awesome jobs here in town where these people can afford these homes. And we're seeing it reflected in the sales trends, too. I mean, the, the metric that, that I'll use is properties over 3,500 square feet just because typically you're going to get up in the million-dollar price range in that category of product. And we've seen a significant increase in the number of transactions in that product class in 2015 versus 2014.
2: Yeah. So what's going to happen? It's a good time to hold on to your real estate so that it just keeps going up in value and then you participate in the lack of inventory and sort of it's it's like having a direct impact over your own bank account.
6: Well, I, I I was kidding with you a little bit when I, I said don't treat your home like a commodity, but I, I really believe there's validity to that. And I, and so I think your question, you know, it, it has to be clarified um, because I think there's very different strategies relative to what you do in an appreciating real estate market, depending on if you're talking about investment properties or your primary residence. Oh? Sure. You're an anomaly. I I believe that you mean (laughs) you will dump your house to, to capture windfall profits, but most people won't. Maybe. I don't know. Would they? No. Are
2: they the new... Is the new consumer, though, the kind of person that says, this roof over my head is... A monster in and of itself and can cause great reward or great pain, and I, I'm going to have
6: some control over that? The, the biggest way that a person can capture windfall profits in an appreciating market on their primary residence is to sell it and not buy anything.
2: Right. Well, and, and I was going to ask you, you know, you're I, not that I want to get in some big discussion or argument about uh, Prop 13. But part of me wonders if one of the demand problems your know, supply problems that we have right now is just related to Prop 13.
6: Well, I, I certainly think it has an impact. And it's we could we could take the discussion down a different path, too, because the reality is in the previous three or four years, Prop 13 has come under pretty uh, interesting political fire. But now that California has sorted their budget out and is in a good place relative to um, their budget – I don't think it's likely that anything's going to change with Prop 13. At least not until we see another recession, another time when the California economy um, is such that there that the politicians in Sacramento are having a hard time have balancing to the go budget. have to go figure out reevaluate the moving parts, figure out where they're going to. But money
2: interestingly from. enough, though, I mean, and we've and we've talked about this again for years on the show. But how many people? That have a mortgage today, got something sweet for the 3% something 30-year fix in the last few years here? A lot. How many people are enjoying a Prop 13 tax basis because they bought a house from the 2010 to 2000 anything after that vintage? A lot. Yeah. And then... Of that, how many people are afraid to sell their house because they know there's no suitable replacement guaranteed for them? And that's my, that's my major point. We've created the perfect storm of you'd better stay put. Your rate's low. Your tax base is protected. There's not a suitable replacement. And all to boot, we didn't build houses for seven years. So there's a crazy demand for a very limited supply and i do not see the
6: end to that anywhere near well i mean the the challenge of supply often takes the conversation to new construction and we have obviously not been building homes fast fast enough around the state and even in in san luis obispo county it's true but across the state and certainly in san luis obispo county that equation is starting to change I don't think it's changing dramatically enough that will offset the challenges on the supply side of the market. But at least we're seeing some new construction occur.
2: Yeah, interestingly enough, you know, I'm on the economic development committee for the Chamber of Commerce, and we were having this discussion recently, and and a, a developer actually suggested that it was the goal was to bring a product to market for as inexpensive as possible. And I actually had a, and it was an internal giggle that that's just not reality. Um, They're going to bring them to market in phases such that it's keeping up with whatever the, you don't want to saturate the market and drive your own price down, but they come on at this pace now around our County. They come on at this pace that they're um, And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like they're a slight discount below the existing home inventory. Um, and I think it's because some of the characteristics of them are a little bit less desirable. I mean, unless you like to reach out your kitchen window and touch your neighbor's kitchen window. Um, and, you know, they're... <laughs> Just, it's a different style of living. And I do, I think some people actually prefer it, but by and large, it doesn't seem like it keeps up with the exact price of the neighborhood home, but the two sort of play off one another and they'll just keep jockeying position up up and away. And how, how describe to me the scenario where in Slow County, let alone California, we're gonna build enough homes to create an equilibrium.
6: No, I, that's clearly not going to happen. Um, It's—I it, don't even think it's possible. I mean, San Luis Proper has a one percent annual growth restriction. The county has a two percent. We've never even be, been able to build at that pace. Right. And and that's not significant enough, and it's ca- It's leading to a crisis state in affordability around the state of California. In fact, when we, you know, that I'm involved in the. So this means buy though, right? Come jump in now because it's only going to get worse.
2: So we're we're basically on the airwaves today, encouraging people to come exacerbate the problem even further.
6: Well, I'm posing the question that. Is this economy going to be undermined by something else? Because of all the things that we're talking about, I don't see it being real estate. Real estate's not going to trigger a recession anytime soon. I don't think soon.
2: so. I mean, what I, I feel like the greatest threat is probably, uh, I think, probably national budget. Just the, the taxes that we likely are going to have to face to try to take care of a $20 trillion what is it now? Oops, I just said it, so now it's twenty one trillion. Nope, twenty two trillion. Whatever it is, there's a crazy number of money that we all owe, and I I just can't imagine it comes any other way than um, stepping up the tax base to what each one of us that pay taxes are going to have another you know little chunk of heavy lifting to do to keep everything in balance. And are you suggesting that that's going to trigger the next recession? Um, I don't know. Maybe you couple that with the rising cost of health care. Um, you know, do, do people then have, then we start seeing these things where retail sales are lower, even in spite of cheaper gas. Americans just are less certain and, and squirreling away money because they're worried about tomorrow. I mean, there's a lot of those things that aren't just about the the unpredictability of your mortgage or the value of your real estate. Um, the flat wage growth thing is freaky. The The tax with the budget deficit is freaky. The unbridled increase in health insurance costs over the last few years is freaky. Those things, those things, I mean, if you want to lay awake tonight worrying about threats, I think those are them. I don't think it's oil. But then again, I mean, I'm not an oil farmer in Taft, so
6: I probably just pissed some people off really bad with that remark. Well, I, I know that the oil is having an impact on some economies, and I grew up in West Texas, and I know there there's really significant impacts on on what's going on with oil. But as you said earlier, um, or maybe you said Dan, it, that you know maybe the impacts, the negative impacts, are relatively limited to the you know the micro markets of of oil in the areas where that drives economies. But um, I, I'm not convinced that that's true. I'm, I mean, I think that. Um, Something's something's undermining the confidence of investors on Wall Street. I mean, what's triggering the sell-off? Huh,
2: Dan?
3: I, it's such a complex question. I don't I don't follow it closely enough or study it enough to be an expert to answer that question. I know there's been some some discussions I've been part of where you know corporations have been one of the biggest. Um, Benef- benefactors, I guess, of, of the low interest rates because they're able to borrow money at zero percent or something near there for the past eight years um, and adjust and, and it makes their P&L look better. But going forward, that's not going to be the case and they're going to have to restructure. So I think that's probably a little bit of this correction is 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 the realization that business is actually going to have to pay to borrow money again. And that's going to influence the way they do business. Um, so I think that's part of it. I don't. I, maybe I don't know enough about how all these things intertwine, or you know, maybe I'm just dumb on some of these things. But I, I'm a little more optimistic going forward because I think about it this way: Am I better off or worse off today than I was last year, or the year before, or the year before that? In the last, you know, five to ten years, I'm better off today. I think most people would probably answer that way. Um, Wage growth has been an issue for not just the last couple of years. It's been the last 15, some would say 30 years. You know, it depends on how far back you look. Wage growth has been an issue, and I don't see that getting fixed anytime soon, although I'm optimistic that it's going to start to improve more going forward. Um, I, I feel like the worst of times are in the rearview mirror and not likely to recur soon. So I think going forward things are only going to get a little bit better. Yeah, there's there's stuff like the national debt, there's stuff like healthcare costs, but healthcare costs haven't been getting cheaper. Um they've been getting more expensive and I I just I don't see that overriding the positives that have come over the last few years with our homes becoming more valuable and um, people going back to work that weren't working previously. I, I see more positives than negatives. So I don't see where this new big recession is coming from. I see a correction right now based on the new economic normal that's coming, which is less Fed intervention and interest rate policies and things like that. That's that has had a big boost to corporations and i think that the stock market's just adjusting to the new normal for corporations and how they're going to have to operate
6: well that makes a lot of sense but it's it doesn't really line up um in a time wise with the fed's move
3: i think it's i think there's some i think some of it's coincidental you know when we have this china china dominating headlines now and their slowdown i mean they've been slowing down this isn't new news for whatever reason it's just become the the news de jour um, probably because there's less well, stuff to talk about. a strong
2: Here. dollar doesn't help their cause. It, and doing things like raising our rate and having employment numbers and things like they are, American strength is is not typically good for the countries that are struggling and trading in the dollar. Um, th- that's certainly true. The, I think to your point, Wes, one of the ways that I would articulate it is um, I'm confused by this. When the Fed historically raises interest rates, they do so because it's like the single best vote of confidence in the economy to say this thing is primed, rocking and rolling, or headed in that direction. So you raise interest rates. Um, or, you know, likewise, you know, you got inflation problems where it's you got to actually cool the economy down a little bit because it's white hot the least amount of attention this is the thing i don't think the feds are going to tell anybody at their meeting is that they're they could potentially be raising rates right now for no other reason than to give themselves a cushion to be able to cut again if there's problems if the china thing's bigger than anticipated if the budget thing is bigger than anticipated if the deficit thing is bigger than anticipated if the oil thing is bigger than anticipated the feds only have so many tools right they can buy some stuff, they can sell some stuff, they can manipulate the value of money, they can cut interest rates, they can raise interest rates. When you live for a decade with interest rates at zero, the most powerful tool the Fed has is not in the bag. So I personally think that there's a fair amount of argument to be made that the the Feds didn't raise rates right now because the economy is white hot. They didn't raise rates right now because the economy is rocking and rolling and there's nothing to worry about. I think they raised rates to move toward normalization so that if there's another problem, they have their most powerful tool to intervene.
3: I think also because things are better than they were when a zero interest rate policy was justified. Sure. And so I, I – I, You're yeah, not seeing – They're not signaling white hot, but they are signaling
2: improvement. Sure. Sure. Agreed. And, you know, it's probably a combination of all those things, but the reality of it is, is that it's a little bit different than it ever has been before, as has been the case in this great capitalist experiment that is the U.S. economy, which is really only a couple hundred years old. If you look at the Industrial Revolution as the kickoff point of it, it's really only a hundred years old. Uh, I think the reality is nobody knows what the heck they're doing. (laughs) Right? It's it's almost freaky i think um and so at the end of the day though what does it mean you're gonna have to go to work tomorrow you're gonna have to have a roof over your head tomorrow you don't have a lot of choice but to just make your best effort again and hope that everything around you stays together mr sunshine i mean what are you what else are you gonna do
3: I watched the movie The Martian last night. Have you guys seen it? Yeah. <clears throat> I love it at the end. He's you know talking about getting stuck on Mars and to that room full of people. What do you do when you're at rock bottom? You Science s- the heck out of you it. You solve one problem. Uh, you just get to work. You solve one problem. You solve the next problem. You solve the next problem. If you solve enough problems, you get to go home.
6: And that's kind of where we're at right now. I know you're about. I know you're about to do a, a break. So before um, we do that, I I find um, again my role here for you guys is to try to get some listener involvement. Sure. So um, I'd love to know what people out there are thinking about this conversation the general the general state of the economy. Is there a recession on the horizon? If so, what's going to cause it? ends um, unsubstantiated um, uh, optimism. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a call, listeners, 543-8830. Chime in. Let's make it a dialogue.
0: Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832.
1: For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people. Agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com.
5: A
0: state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. I called them at least 20 times, but I'm they up. won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. This is Jason Grody
2: with Central Coast Lending. Our loans are not trucked in from some big thing. They're raised right here on the Central Coast. No hormones, no GMOs, no antibiotics. Call today and get your gluten-free mortgage from a caring lender that knows you only accept the best for your family. Just
1: call Central Coast Lending.
2: When you buy or
7: refinance
3: Central Coast Lending.
1: Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California
0: Bureau of Real Estate Number 018-39608. NMLS Number three two You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. <laughs>
6: All right. It's comedy watching Jim try to wrangle you guys into shape. You We're know? so uh, ready every single time. And yeah, Jim's so, so t-
2: uptight. He's always like, he wants us to be like a minute earlier or to be waiting quietly for the, the 30 second countdown or something. Well, we I, talk- do
3: have, I do have to have, be able to turn your mics on. Yeah,
2: I
4: understand. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I know,
3: I I anticipate your move. I know you're going to let about 10 seconds of that music play and then mm-hmm. kick yeah, me on. No, totally. Right, right. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and, and if you were more unpredictable, I'd probably I'd, right. I'd switch up my. Oh,
4: okay, switch up your game board, Okay, I'll be unpredictable next time. I'll come flying in here two minutes till. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be wild. You'd probably stress me out if you were doing that.
2: I mean, you can always add like another, uh, you know, infomercial or news break. <coughs>
3: so Wes, I think you were going to tell us about housing, and we got totally sidetracked talking about markets again. What's
6: housing doing? I saw green arrows all over the place.
2: Everything's going up in value.
6: Yeah, so the, these are uh this page that you're looking at, Dan. I know this, this is tough to translate on radio, so I'll give people Green the, uh, arrows pointing up. That's a universal sign of of good, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and you and listeners can see this by going to slowcountyhomes.com and clicking on market indicators. And uh, what it is, it's a breakdown for all of the areas throughout the county, and frankly, there's areas across the state that are available there. And um, it just shows you the general direction of the median home price um, year over year. So- On this page, you're seeing all the areas for San Luis County, and they're all green arrows pointing up, meaning that the median home price is increasing across the county. The only exception is Cayucas, who has seen a very slight 0.6%. Less than one percent drop and because
2: one of the three homes they sold happened to be one of the smaller homes. That's exactly <laughs>
6: right. So the yeah, Cayucas like is an anomaly because of the lack of transactions over yeah. there, so it does not yeah, like, at all reflect the general health of of that real estate market. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can see that across the county, yeah, I'll, I'll we're the seeing kids. really great appreciation, in many cases, double digit. Yeah, um, check that out. There's lots, some really good,
3: some of the leaders there I'm seeing are Grover Beach is
6: up 15. the headliner. 9. Yeah, and yeah. then
3: Moro Bay at nearly 12%. Yeah, Moro Pismo Bay. Beach, 10%.
6: Uh-huh, look at Oh, Arroyo Grande. 12 or 133 Yeah. Yeah, an Avila 12%, 12% increase. Speaking so. of Arroyo Grande, we've got Mark
3: on the line calling from Arroyo Grande. Good morning.
7: Hi, guys. Well, I, I heard that comment a little bit ago. You just want people to call in and maybe <laughs> comment on the general condition of the economy. Sure. And uh, I don't know. I'm coming from more of a pessimistic uh, point of view. And it could be, I mean, I listen to a lot of people uh, through podcasts. I read a lot of blogs. And it just seems to me that there's a real consensus that, you know, our fiat currency, and I don't know if people know what that is, maybe you can do a little education on fiat currency, but basically our currency post-71, when Nixon took us off the gold standard, we've, uh, we we our, our money is not pegged to anything other than the consumer confidence in it. And I believe, like a lot of these economists believe, that we have built a debt-based economy that, chases greater gdp however the world is most of the industrialized nations are not experiencing increasing gdp so that debt is coming back to haunt us and we we have unpayable debt we will never pay off the debt and it's like the politicians they won't touch it it's a hot potato nobody wants to talk about it so it just keeps kicking the can but eventually i believe that's going to come back and there's going to be a dollar crisis there's already uh, groups like the BRICS, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa that are trying to get away from the US dollar as a reserve currency. And right, and people are saying, Hey, you've been saying that for a decade, you know, and we're still the reserve currency. No worries. However, what I think is that it's just that the dollar's the best looking horse in the glue factory <laughs> and that eventually, you know, it's gonna come back. And people say, "Well, look, at, you know, the, uh, inflation. It's uh, we've got it under control." Are you kidding? Look at housing. Look at rent. Look at people that are paying twice now on rent what they used to. Look at education. Try to get your kids educated these days. Look at healthcare. The things that aren't even included in that uh, what do they call it the core group that they measure inflation. Mm-hmm. Those things those those things that I just mentioned aren't even included in that. But really, we are. The dollar is being inflated drastically and it could just be the beginning if the world loses confidence in the us dollar yeah
2: when you first started talking i'm like all right here comes my guy and then (laughs) and now i'm um i'm you're losing me a little bit because uh, i get that sick pit feeling in my gut real quick about just thinking about if if mark's right just flatter me for a minute if mark's right. Uh, civilized life, as you know it in the United States, is soon to be over. Total anarchy, martial law. We'll all be killing each other for clean water. Um, that—that's that, scary did, stuff. I, did I, didn't say that, that, I didn't hear that. No, I didn't hear that. No, no, I'm telling you that—that's how I like. I I started trailing away, just thinking if he's right, this is what happens. So, well, I, to what? So, not, what do you do? What do it, we do? Think, go ahead. What do we do? What's all right? What product yeah. are you selling?
7: Actually, actually I'm, not, I'm not selling any product. Mm-hmm. However, what I do believe is that um, there has to be currency revision. Somehow we have to link our currency to something of real value, not the Fed. The Fed is actually a big part of the problem. They're, they are able to print money and then buy, buy, the, buy up the debt. But I don't believe that can go on forever. In other words, I believe that the situation as is is unsustainable. And it needs to, the whole discussion needs to get out there in the public, where people will have the political will to say we need to back our our currency with something of value. Otherwise, it, this this little ride that we're on is going to come to an end. And I don't think it'll be like a one event, like you know Tuesday nineteen twenty nine or something like that. I think it's just it'll be a slow attrition of the wealth that we've built up in this country, to the point where we're like you know, we're just scraping by. You know, people will be living multiple families in the same dwelling. I mean, it, it could get pretty bad. But um, and the 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 government and the statistics they put out there is not reality. The whole jobs market. Well, I personally left the job market because I couldn't find anything that I was really capable of doing for the amount of money that I needed. So I'm not even in the job market anymore. And And they talk about jobs being added. Yeah, well, they're service sector jobs versus manufacturing jobs. So um, the U.S. economy, that State of the Union speech the other night was clueless. I I thought he was just, I don't know, it was just clueless. We need to get the discussion out there. How do we bring back manufacturing jobs to the U.S.? How do we get a stable currency? China might just
2: be sending them back on their own accord right now with all their economic woes. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, Mark. But So it sounds to me like you, you don't necessarily have a solution except for just to say the pain lies ahead and good luck.
7: No, uh, uh, what my solution would be currency revision. Uh, I would get rid of the Fed and I would back our currency with something of value, some hard asset, be it a precious metal or not. We certainly were in way better condition when our currency was backed with gold. I so. I
6: still feel like the yeah I don't know it. I think Mark's got a great point. It, it really unnerves me to see the amount of national debt and the whole fiat concept of our of our dollar is frightening. And I frankly I agree with Mark. It can't but what last is, forever.
2: But what is any currency or any commodity other than perceived value? The only the only thing that has actual value to you are the nutrients it takes to sustain your life every every other wealth currency commodity nicety creature comfort whatever you need beyond that has only perceived value of what you need or want out of it it's there. The part of that in tying it to gold. I mean, look at the the fools that bought gold and drove its value up to two thousand dollars an ounce. As it now pushes back to a thousand dollars an ounce. And yeah. In- however,
7: let just go back a few years. It was three hundred to five hundred dollars. So uh, yeah, but it was nothing I, I more than the hysteria. Gold will eventually. Come yeah, back. but but come, here's
2: a deal though. I've got apple trees in my backyard, and when you want to come trade me your gold bouillon for my apples, you can keep your paperweights. I'll be nourishing my body. The gold yeah. thing is no more <laughs> an in, in, in economy, you know, than than what its perceived value is. I, I and that has been
6: peddled by the people that push gold. Um, it, it's it. no, I, I disagree with you, Jason. Value is based on demand. It's a supply and demand equation, and it's the same for and what better demand computer. than hunger? It's a better. It, it's the same for computers, for cars, for houses, and when the the a dollar can be arbitrarily created thereby affecting the supply in the way that it currently does eventually the value of that has to be undermined
7: and we're seeing that like in, the, in where i told you housing rent education healthcare. we're seeing an eroded value of the dollar i mean you can look at what a dollar bought 100 years ago and you can see the fed got involved in 1913 so it's been over 100 years that they've been trying this but um I, um, I can't remember you guys' name and keep you this apart, but the one who has the apple tree in your backyard. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that, that barter is a wonderful way to do things because it is, it's real value. I go, I want that, you want this, let's trade, that's real value. And, uh, right now our financial institution is really shaky and there are other countries, well, look at the countries that are amassing gold, China and Russia, for instance. I think they see something coming. They see a point where the U.S. dollar will no longer be the reserve currency, and that's when things could get really kind of crazy. So um, I'm just throwing it out there. I'd love to get the discussion out because people don't seem to, you know what I mean, they they go about their lives and they don't even uh, enter into this discussion, and I'm glad you guys are out there. Uh, with a venue to talk about it it's a so couple
6: thanks. it's a couple layers deep that, that you're digging when you when you start uh, debating fiat currency markets the, it's the kind of stuff that not uh, a really high percentage of folks out there understand but i i'm with yeah. you i think it's worth talking about mark okay, thanks thank much you. for the
2: phone call today i know you too well to know that you're going to debate me on fiat currency The reality of it is either way, but the same way you can print money, you can also take money back out of the system and arguably increasing interest rates is taking money back out of the system. The thing that the shoe that you're waiting to drop, and this is the problem with all of the, the doomsday or, you know, the dollar is going to implode and we'll be back like, you know, without electricity or, or clean running water. That stuff, that's wild. And I, I, I'm i going to go back. I just want to challenge you back that the, the money, the very core of money, is it lies in the perceived value at its very root. Therefore,
6: it doesn't need to be tied to anything. I, I think when it's tied to something, it creates a stability that doesn't exist otherwise. If the perceived value of the dollar... Um, erodes to the point that it becomes global um, just like mark was referring to we're going to be in some tough times that's the reality of the circumstances and and the thing that yeah look when what happened
2: in 1971 when the u.s got the world reserve currency placed into the dollar what happened to great britain there's a study right there to go look at it and what shifted it was all a matter of perception And it drove their economy down into a point where, yeah, you know what? They had to ration electricity. You couldn't have your lights on seven days a week. It went through a really sharp correction. And um, look at Britain today. Are they any better off today than they were in, in 1970 or 1975? Of course. Yeah, they're back to being a perfectly mature society. Civilized Everything's all good. I don't, I don't understand. The perception, the it's all a matter of perception. And what I, my only thing of it is, is that it, what value, yeah, so gold in the computers or something like that, but. How, how then do you justify why did gold go from $300 an ounce to $2,000 an ounce and then back to $1,000 an ounce? And I, I've seen, by the way, some, of, some good people lose a lot of money falling into this trap that gold is the bed of it.
6: And I, I'm not so if it's not gold, that, then what is it? I'm not suggesting that a backing eliminates volatility, but it does stabilize it has a stabilizing effect. I don't know how you can argue against that. Sure, the perceived Maybe, the perception I, is going to affect I, the it's value It's not even my desire
2: to argue against it as much as you, perhaps you're not making your argument well enough to convince me that <clears throat> if somewhere there's a garage with the gold that I am better? <laughs> okay. And what if the gold gets cut or the gold gets I think the purified. idea is, is if, that
3: it limits the Fed's ability to arbitrarily print money and manipulate the currency. Be- For the better
2: or the worse. So now are we arguing that the Fed's interventions don't cure economic problems?
3: The, it's one approach to economic problems. The other approach is, you know, austerity. So, to right? let
2: the water turn
3: off. Well, I, I don't know why you keep going back to you know nomadic type of living as your basis you're skipping lots of steps in between <laughs> but all right i mean i guess that's how it goes in your view I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway this is a show about real estate and mortgages and we're getting close to the end of today's show We've had a lot of. Well, that
6: was a fun diversion, Mark. <laughs> yeah.
3: Mark took us on. It was. Yeah. It was, and it's. It's always appreciated to have um, the outside participation and, and alternative I'm, viewpoints. I know the phone just
6: rang. Jim, did a, a listener want to make a comment?
4: Yeah, basically, it was kind of. Uh, I think along the lines of what Mark said.
6: Yeah. Uh, uh, basically, but I.
4: You know, we have like less than two minutes left in the yeah. show, so we couldn't put them on.
3: It's a complex. I don't think there's anyone out there who's not concerned about national debt approaching twenty million or wherever it is. I think it's an obvious trillion. problem or trillion. What did I say? Million. Million. What are you gonna do? And what are you gonna do about it? <laughs> I'm nothing today. Nothing in the next two minutes. That's you to get up and go to work tomorrow. He's just like the Martian. He's gonna I'm just get gonna, gonna to work. solve solve the next problem. That's what I'm gonna try to do.
2: There you go. And if you're called to be some sort of congressman or legislator then by all means take up your cross and go for the rest of us just get up go to work tomorrow pay your taxes and be happy that you got all the niceties you do have
3: no uh, i th- i think there's an opportunity to get people um into government decision making places that can help solve these problems that that's where the average joe
6: has a say in it yeah Well, if you're an average Joe and you (laughs) want to buy or sell a house, you should call me, and let me see if I can help you. There we go. My number is Uh, 805-801-7061. 805-801-7061. You can go to my website at wesburk.com, W-E-S-B-U-R-K.com, and I'd love to hear you. love to help you.
2: For all the people that just want to... Get up and go to work tomorrow and keep that roof over their head. Um, yeah, you can call me. That's what I do too. I, I help those people finance those things with the the uh, that have perceived value. Yeah, the shelter <laughs> that really does trade you That's, an apple for your house. Are you are you That, hungry? that would be the conundrum. But are I do hungry? believe you'd have to eat instead of get out of the rain. It'd be nice to have both though, wouldn't it? In the event you're flush with apples and need a house, call me. <laughs> I help finance those. Why are you antagonizing me? Because you're fun to antagonize.
3: <laughs> How In- can they call you, Jason? Is there a phone number, a series of digits they could dial we, to
2: reach you? Yep. <laughs> for now, for now, until the currency collapses, you can call 805 543 Loan, which is five six two six five four three five six two six. Find us on the web at Central Coast Lending. Um, the shout out I gave earlier to anybody that's got mortgage insurance or a rate higher than four, your homework is to call five four three loan uh see if we can get you fixed up with a better cash flow and improve your quality of life have a great week you guys we'll be back next week with another episode of mortgage matters